and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I've been sick for enough days that I'm sick of being sick. Like, I'm, I'm annoyed by it. So as, as uh, what is it, VH1 Behind the Music would say, you're, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. That is a thing that they've said like three times. Right. I mean, I've heard yeah. people say that before. I didn't know that yeah. it was specifically... Well, maybe it I didn't. It was so rampant in VH1 behind the music. I think I remember, maybe I just watched the same Wait, one three times, no. but I don't think so because they, here, maybe I should try and do it in the cadence. Ozzy or whoever was, had finally decided that he was sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's just that, <laughs> that weird, like I can hear it, yeah. a vaguely, uh, Kasem-esque, uh, yeah. delivery. And then, of course, Downward Spiral, not the uh, not the Nine Inch Nails album, uh, but just they would constantly talk about a person's downward spiral and yeah. that kind of thing. And so, so yeah, so you are you're like you're like these people on uh, behind the music, right? So is the plural VH1 behind the musics or VH1s behind the music? Oh boy, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the former. I think it's VH1 behinds the music. <laughs> That's <laughs> that the one. Sense. I always I've been wondering that a lot lately. With the playoffs going on, both in uh, NHL and NBA, there was a night... <clears throat> I, li- I like to call them the plays off. No, well, no, what I'm saying, there was a night uh, a few uh, last week when it was the end of the first round of the NHL playoffs, and in one night you had, everyone kept saying, there's three game sevens in one night, which means, you know, that's as long as it can mm. go. And I kept wondering, are there three game sevens, or are there three games seven? I don't know, but I, you know what? I want it to be games seven. Oh, there's no question about it. I want it to be that for everything. Yeah. Uh, it's like when I was a kid, I never understood why that, cause that, that's a phrase that pops up from time to time, like the brothers Grimm sure, or sure. something like that. And then attorneys general courts yeah, marshal. Exactly. And, uh, and it's just something that I never, I never understood as a kid. And then once I understood, I'm like, I want <laughs> yeah. to say that. As often as I can, and to the point now, it's just become a joke that I make. I try to do it where you're not supposed to do it yeah. and see if it'll catch on. <laughs> Incidentally, it never does. Well, it's one of my favorite Onion headlines of all time is mm-hmm. William Sapphire orders two Whoppers Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, okay, so uh, enough enough fun. We've got to pay some, <laughs> yeah, we've got no to pay some bills here. That was the end of the fun. Yeah, we've got to do some uh, some some reformatting to the episode here. Everybody. Well, no, don't we uh, like? Uh, <laughs> sorry, we're doing this live on air. Mm-hmm. Um, aren't we doing the top of the show thing first? Then we do the ads. Uh, no, we're doing this ad first, <laughs> okay. then top of the show thing, and then other the, stuff the in between. Thing. Okay, yeah. So yeah, that was a spoiler. We would be getting the tweaked audio. Indeed. All right. It was like foreshadowing. Yeah, something to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, all right. It was sort of tweaking your interest, if you will. But you won't. <laughs> you won't, No, not, not at all. This episode is brought to you by the Double Feature Podcast, which compares and contrasts two movies every episode. This week, the movies discussed are Ghosts of Mars and Giallo. I believe it's pronounced Giallo. Okay. Uh, which is, I know is a genre. Yes. Uh, it, is the name of, it is the name of the genre, but it is also the name of this particular movie. Okay. Uh, so this includes discussions about loving a film that the director himself can't stand. I'm going to assume that applies to Ghosts of Mars. Um, oh, that's, se- that's interesting. Yeah. 
secret things you can do to get more fun out of a film, flashbacks within flashbacks, our unthinking support for protagonists, and more. Just go to DoubleFeatureShow.com to hear this and many more episodes, or click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com. They're doing good stuff over there at Double Feature. It's very exciting. I've heard that Woody Allen wasn't happy with Annie Hall, but I think in retrospect, he's been like, ah, everyone seems to like it, I guess. But that, is that I, is I, that true? I've read, happy I read with that Hall? before that he he wasn't happy with with, with the movie at first. <sighs> I th- what I, did I, you? I think it's a case of like the movie didn't come out the way he wanted it. So I think he was maybe so. Uh, I'm speculating here, obviously, but maybe perhaps he was so married to the way it was in his head right. that he wasn't able to see how good it turned out at first. <laughs> what kind of crazy masterpiece because i'm not a huge woody allen fan but mm-hmm. I, but annie hall is pretty damn good uh-huh. and for him to be like yeah i guess it's amazing but i mean <laughs> nobody's converting to a religion as a result of it you know and that's what i had in my mind um yeah so that's interesting i never knew that uh and again i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure i read that before all right i knew he felt that way about uh scoop uh, but everybody just loved it so much. That's yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, he's like, you know what? Of all the AFI lists yeah. now. It's like, you know years, what? hundred scoops. The that pu- one. <laughs> <laughs> the public has spoken. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm wrong. So, um, okay. Uh, as far as top of the show discussion. All right. <laughs> I, I hate that we're so programmatic about it now. Like, I don't know. All right. Now it's time for us to discuss yeah. the thing we've, before we discuss, the topic i didn't feel like uh <laughs> trying to uh grope around in the dark for like some kind of uh transition into this so i just decided hey we all know where we, what we need to do here right. right we need to talk about some shit before we talk about the thing we're Indeed. here to talk about and, and in, it's like the appetizer ex- sure i guess so people tend to send it back by the way uh they some people don't like the top of the show discussion but oh well um oh, some people love it I know we do. Yeah, I know what. It's just like I could make a whole meal out of appetizers. I don't even need. Oh, no question about it. Yeah. 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 Incidentally, the. uh, I I think last time, not one of the last times you and I were at dinner together, which was at WonderCon. We were at mm -hmm. California Pizza Kitchen along with our friend Aaron from the Out Now podcast and um, whysoblue.com. And I ordered an appetizer and I went to town on it. So much so that when I got my pizza, I had one slice of the pizza and I was like, can I get a box? Yeah, I never understood, like, uh, appetizers, I understand, they're supposed to be for the whole table, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to just tide you over. But yeah, when I was younger, and even to a certain extent now, sometimes I'll get an appetizer, and it's just for me. Yeah. And then I realize, oh, I should not have ordered, now there's a whole meal that I'm not interested in (laughs) at all. Um, And and then uh, at some point, like, at Outback, like, mm -hmm. the idea of someone getting the blooming blooming onion for the table and then getting like a steak or a burger, it's like, what are you, like a Roman emperor? <laughs> like <laughs> the, like a, an eighth of a blooming onion should be more than enough for a meal. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Um, all right. So I will say uh, recently, I don't remember what episode it was on, but we've, we've talked about it pretty consistently, the idea of uh, an artist's intention after a certain point not mattering anymore. And this is the first thing my mind went to when, okay, this is, is going to be a little bit political. I'm only, 
I, I don't plan on commenting on this. Sure. But what I will say, there is a... Uh, I'm, in, I'm in no mood to get into it with you. Indeed. Because uh, I've been sick, as I mentioned. There is, uh, I, believe she, I believe she's a host or a commentator. I don't remember exactly. Uh, on MSNBC, na- her name is... Her name is Crystal Ball. Um, no way. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I don't want to get hung up on that because there's plenty of other things to get hung up on on MSNBC. Sorry. I, did I just sound racist there? Anyway. Um, Wait, did you say something racist? No, I didn't. But that doesn't stop them from accusing people of it. Sorry. Moving on. Uh, that is you got to stop commentary. watching MSNBC. I've, I agree. <laughs> Why I, are you watching? Because I want to hear the other side. But no, don't act like... Don't act like the MSNBC represents my side any more than no, Fox News I, represents your side. Right, but doesn't it, but it's, I, I don't want to hear, hear either of those sides. But these, but that's no, the thing. These they could both the, go jump in a lake. The oh, same lake for all I care. Oh, they wouldn't want that. I don't no care. Way. I don't care. I don't want, they want, they don't want to jump in this purple lake. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's not, I don't, re, I don't, I realize they don't represent the other side, but it's more just like, it's like, all right, well, People like a Rachel Maddow or Chris Matthews or an Ed Schultz or Lawrence O'Donnell or something like that. Um, they are people that are regularly put out there. Not John Stewart is another example. Um, and then there are a number of politicians that, admittedly, I have a hard time stomaching anything they have to say um, on on every side. By the Again, way, I know we're now talking about politics, and I did not want this to. is controversial. I can't stand John Stewart. <laughs> I, you know I, what? I, I had not watched in years. I watched some. I just. Being sick on the couch the the other day this week, mm-hmm. they they replayed a daily show like in the middle of the afternoon from the night before or whatever. Couldn't couldn't watch more than a few minutes, so I had to change the channel. It's weird. Uh, he can be funny. I, I remember Doesn't liking his stand up. The first thing on his <laughs> list of priorities, though, and that's the thing is that, uh, and this is something that Michael Moore has done in the past. And okay. Admittedly, my politics don't line up with John Stewart's. I don't care. Uh, comedy is usually what I what I am more interested in, and he tends to maybe he doesn't do it so much anymore. This is more when I when I watched him uh, after for a while. Uh, he tends to use comedy as a shield, like he will put himself out there and say like real political stuff. But anytime somebody comes after him, he's like he goes, "Hey, hey, we're not like a real news show. Don't take it, right, right. you know." Don't take what we say for granted. It's like you come on. You are really banking on people taking what you say as some kind of gospel. Like you see yourself as a truth teller, which well, I do think comedians I, can be, but they shouldn't then cop out and say because they are comedians, people shouldn't listen to them. I don't want to speculate. I just know that it's not. It's not. Daily Show isn't any more enjoyable for me to watch apparently than the stuff on Fox and NBC that I go out of my way to avoid. Yeah. Though I, I like John Oliver. I enjoy his podcast, The Bugle, so I'm very much looking forward to checking out. I know it's already started, but I haven't watched it yet. His HBO show. What's it called? It's called Last Week, Last Week Tonight or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of John Oliver, so I I, I hope that's good. Because his, his podcast is great. I don't know if you've ever listened to I it. I have not listened to it, but I do like... I, I've seen him on The Daily Show. I like him a lot. And, and I know that he doesn't write his own stuff when he's on Community, but he's very funny on it. Um... Like there's one where there's one scene where he's walking along and uh, part of the point of the episode is that people have to people are constantly bending over and then the ass crack bandit comes along and drops a quarter in their butt. But anyway, um, it's weird. And so there's a scene where he's walking down the hallway. Wait, and, and what is that uh, a, a sort of metaphor for in relation to Dan Harmon's uh, relationship with NBC and communities ratings? Because every 
episode of Community that I've ever seen, mm-hmm. most of the jokes are just winking about the status of Community as a show and NBC and Dan Harmon. This one is less that and more just a general, uh, not necessarily a parody, because it's not direct, but it's about it's the genre of the of like certain types of uh, crime dramas. Okay, where everything is very uh, expressionistic and blue light and stuff like that, and uh, and the tone is and it gets all of that right. And then what I like is not unlike what they did with the uh, the uh, Law and Order episode. Um, they use all of this style to disguise an actual serious character thing that develops later on in the episode. But anyway, so they do so, some good things with it. But anyway, people so, at home keeping track, things I don't like that everyone else seems to like daily John, show community. Yeah. So far we'll get to more. I'm sure. Oh, no question about it. Um, and so, uh, but anyway, there's a scene where John Oliver is walking down the hallway and he goes, Oh my. And he looks down and his sho- and he goes, my shoes are, are uh, untied by British standards and his shoes are completely <laughs> tied. Everything's fine. <laughs> But he just he has to say it in like he has to say it aloud so that he, we all know what's about to happen here. And it was uh, I, I thought it was hilarious. That's very funny. Um, anyway, none of that's so what did crystal balls that. say ball. It's singular. Let's not be oh, okay. obscene here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and yeah, and I'm sorry for uh, for trashing MSNBC. I, I really think I really think what they're what they do is uh, irresponsible. Not to say I defend Fox News. I'm not a big fan of them either. Don't. Don't watch any more television news. I, I, I watch no television news. I watch. I I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but I read the news. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, okay, this has gone on longer than expected. Um, what I will say is, uh, so Cristobal uh, made a comment recently about the novel Animal Farm, saying that she viewed it as really about capitalism. Uh huh. Now. And then she got she came under a lot of flack from people who said, well, no, (laughs) it's not about that. If you look, it is a pretty obvious allegory for Soviet Russia. Okay, that's that's fine. And then I read her response. I will maybe I won't read all of it. In fact, I cut a lot of it out and it got me thinking and I was very excited about it. She says, I know Orwell's novel was an allegory of Soviet communism, but to fixate on Snowball as Trotsky and Napoleon as Stalin is to miss the profundity of the story. At its heart, Animal Farm is about tyranny and the likelihood of those in power to abuse that power. It's clear that tendency is not only found in the Soviet communist experience. The pigs cast themselves as Mitt Romney-style uh, Mitt Romney style makers or something like that. They built it and deserve the rewards. The farm animals outside the elite pig circle are left to suffer and toil, working all day with little to show for it and with retirement always just out of reach. There is, at least at first, a theoretical political process, but the pigs rig it so that they always get their way. Napoleon and Snowball even have a brilliant propagandist named Squealer, a a Frank Luntz or Karl Rove type who convinces the animals that things are so much better under their benevolent rule that giving the pigs more tax cuts, I mean more food, is in everyone's best interest. Orwell writes, the creatures outside look from pig to man and man to pig and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. Conservatives would do well to realize that tyranny can come from dictators, from an overreaching government, or from corporations and wealthy individuals who run our country for their own benefit. 
My animal farm comment confused them because, like Orwell's farm animals, conservatives have been blinded by the self-serving nonsense served up by today's pigs. Now, obviously, I think what she has to say is idiotic, but um, not really. Because the thing is this. Yeah, I don't think there was anything. I, I don't know what a Mitt Romney style maker is. I don't is either. He a, like Mitt Romney's not a trendsetter. <laughs> you know what? He's got good hair. Everybody admits that. But um, yeah, I don't know what that means. It, and you know what? It's maybe I read it wrong. Right. It was like a Mitt style, a Mitt Romney dash style maker. So a Mitt, a Mitt Romney, Romney style, style maker. maker. So it's a weird sentence either way. Like a but, manufacturer. Um, yeah. And actually, I don't think what she has to say is idiotic. I was being I was being glib there. Right. You disagree with it, which is fine. But uh, I disagree with it. But it's not. I don't even disagree with it because that's her interpretation. Now I do think maybe she forces it a little bit. But that's. Uh, I actually really like that because I like um, so to to equate it to um, uh, to film um, the movie uh, or the, the basic story of the invasion of the body snatchers mm-hmm. can be um, reframed to be about oh no question. any number of things whatever that's why it's been remade a number of times to, yeah. you know to whatever fears are. Um, whatever fears are plaguing people to the point where they are maybe sacrificing some of themselves to their fears or, mm-hmm. you know, losing themselves in, in their, losing their individuality in their fears, um, can be plugged into invasion of the body snatchers. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a sign of a good allegory that it can be, you know, mutable. And that's the thing is what I, what I do agree with her about is that, yeah, I don't think somebody should get so consumed with the Soviet allegory. It is about how power can corrupt. Now, what the thing that bothers me is that she says, like, it's like, oh, what conservatives fail to realize is it can be corporations as well. And it's like, yeah, you do seem to give a little bit of lip service about overreaching governments like that. Like you seem to throw that out there and say, but it's really, in your opinion, about corporations. Right, uh, but it could be. It could be the about, other thing as well about and, overreaching governments yeah, as well. She, yeah, but she seem, But that's the thing. She seemed to to gloss over that. That is not my issue. Well, it's her. I think it's her role as a television talking head to be caustic and to put forth a narrow point of view uh, uh, in probably, order yes, to yes. stoke fires. And that's why I don't watch that shit. And that's why you shouldn't either. But that's the thing. I'm not actually upset about this <clears throat> because I'm more. Ups- I'm I'm upset that conservatives like no, that's not what it means. It's like. I understand what you mean. Yes, it's not what that it's not what it means in that it's not what Orwell originally intended. But you and I have been talking about this. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what he intended. Now, we do know very specifically what he intended, and you can't really get away from that. And that is going to inform the way I view the book. (laughs) But that doesn't mean the book doesn't have a deeper meaning, even than the rather complex meaning that he was talking about. And so... What fast? So this seemed like a really good example, especially with something like Animal Farm, that everybody for decades have has acknowledged to be about this one thing. She sees it as a different thing. However, she arrived at that at that interpretation. I don't really care. It's a different interpretation, and I think and I think she absolutely has a right to it. To simply say, well, Orwell didn't mean that. It's like, yeah, he didn't, but maybe he was maybe he was doing something even bigger than he intended, mm-hmm. and so. I was excited when I read about this because, and that's the thing, I didn't mean to talk about politics as much as I did here. Um, I I was excited that this is a, a, an exact example of what we have talked about and how people in general 
don't seem to I'm basically saying, David, you and I are right and everybody else is wrong. Uh, as because, per usual. As per usual. Look, I'm just saying we do all right. And so it's why we make the big bucks from our sponsors. Right. You'll hear more about that in a moment. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and it happens with something as, you know, Animal Farm's been out for a while. And, and even that can be, there can be a fluidity to it and it can be malleable depending on who it is, uh, who it is talking about it. And so I was just the debate kind of invigorated me. Now, admittedly, mm-hmm. it never really went the way the, the debate didn't really occur. It happened with like, that's not what he meant. And then she, thankfully, I, I think obviously her tone is one that I don't necessarily like, but I, but that's it's how she got her job. It's how she did. No question about it. And I have to assume her delightful name, but uh, right. someone's like, I'm not going to pass up this opportunity. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, but she addressed that. Part of me wishes, and this is not her job, but part of me wishes that she had addressed it in the way you and I do, which is like art is more than this, but obviously she's not, that's not her job. But, but I was excited. It was, it was a very practical and a very relevant, uh, example of what we talk about. It reminds me, I don't know if you, if you remember, we, when we did that episode about whether or not theme has to be intentional, Mm -hmm. do you remember what conversation you and I were having that led to us saying we should have to do that theme? I do not. It was a conversation about the about um, the Adam Sandler vehicle, Jack and Jill. Oh, yeah. And about Armand White's review of it. Yeah. And Armand White, uh, you know, someone that you and I have very conflicting feelings. I mean, I don't mean you and I conflict on him. I mean, within, within ourselves, ourselves. We of have course. very conflicting feelings yeah. about Armand White. Because um, he wrote a, a very uh, glowing review of Jack and Jill, mm-hmm. which... I disagree about, the, you know, just the impetus behind that because Jack and Jill is one of the most unbearable cinematic experiences I've ever put myself through. And I did not see it. Um, good for you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's seared. It's, it's almost like, it's like a memory where I can still smell it. Like, <laughs> it's like I discovered a burning corpse and the, like the scent yeah. is, uh, for, you know, for the rest of my life, I remember what it was like to come ac- across that burnt corpse. Um, anyway, it, it was it was really bad, but he uh, wrote this review about how it's about Jewish American identity yeah. in the modern age, and as much as it seems like he's just being you know Armand Whiteish or you know being mm. contrarian and just trying to like uh, piss people off by writing this very serious review about this very bad movie, the truth is everything that he points out is there in the movie. Yeah, uh, there and can I be, don't think that's something that Adam Sandler was intending to make a movie about when he sat down. But it's a part of who he is, and yeah, therefore is, it came through in the movie. Yeah, he's Jewish. He's an American. He's he has not, you know he he brings up his Judaism in in film. It's clearly something that he thinks about to a certain extent. And so, yeah, like there is something to be said for an unconscious or rather a subconscious. <laughs> exploration of something that you never intended yeah and so and that and you know it's interesting as i said that as i was talking about uh crystal ball uh, i don't like saying it i'm sorry um as i was talking about her and how she arrived at her opinion the first thing i thought of was armand white was (laughs) i think she came about it honestly and then probably really dug in her heels and it's like all right motherfuckers what do you think of this but that doesn't that attitude doesn't negate the point being made And if that's what they see, if she sees Animal Farm as, among other things, uh, an indictment of a certain type of capitalism, and he sees Jack and Jill as 
a heartfelt, I, I can't even get through it, a heartfelt exploration of what it is to be uh, a Jewish American and dealing with a certain degree of cultural shame, <laughs> then that's what it's about for them. And if that helps them to, uh, to uh, appreciate that bit of art all the more, more power to them. Yeah. I just wish they didn't. Don't be an asshole about it. Yeah. That's where they, they come by a point of view, honestly. And by the way, there are people like Crystal Balls and Armin Whites who, uh, I mean, the Crystal Balls and the Armin Whites of the world. Yes, yes. Who do this. But there are plenty of people who are doing this <coughs> on a smaller level, day in and day out. People you and I read and associate with, uh, where you come by your opinion honestly. And I maybe have had the impulse to do it. And then you maybe are a little intellectually dishonest with yourself because you're more interested in using it as uh, a tool to provoke um, than actually getting your point of view out there fully formed. Because basically you're going to get more clicks if you're uh, a little bit more of a dick about it. Uh, That can happen. Uh, I I think everybody does it even if they don't realize they're doing it. I'm sure I have. Um, and also I know that for me, there have been times when I watch a movie or or watch a TV show or something like that. And I have this thought about, I I start developing a theory and the theory is really good and it's really (laughs) complex and I'm quite pleased with myself. And then there's a slight development like, well, that doesn't really work it in. (laughs) in." And it's just like, but this theory was so damn good up until that point. So how can I make that work? And it's like, <laughs> well, in theory, I should give the theory up right. when something comes yeah. along to refute it. But sometimes there's a desire, and usually I usually I do, but there's that initial instinct of, oh, I was go- I was doing so well for a movie, while. If there. a movie made you think about that thing, that's still valid. Yeah, it did, but I'm not talking about I'm talking about like this theory develops for a good first half of the movie, and then when it when the film continues and it starts to refute that, then it's like, all right, well, it made me think that up to a point, but right. in looking at the whole movie, well, I can't say this the, is all it's about. The film is thematically uneven. No problem. <laughs> way ahead of you. Um, now, uh, you know what is even? What's that? And crisp and clear is the sound that comes out of tweakedaudio.com mm-hmm. earbuds. Um, evenly distributed among the left and right channels is what I mean. Oh, nice. Um, and and it, so we're back to politics, left, right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> tweaked doesn't care. It's, it's a bipartisan product. That's true. Yeah. Uh, tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. And if you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get that for one third off and you don't have to pay shipping. That's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Okay, then. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, what are we talking about? It's been so long. Well, it's uh, oh, right. it was your decision. Yes, I wanted to talk about this. We do want to tr- peek behind the curtain. We do want to try and keep this episode kind of short. Yeah, uh, that, because David is very sick. Yeah, but again, it's we've done half an hour just on the pre, so we could just do a short yeah. version. Of and the, incidentally, everybody, I, I am I am genuinely sorry that I that I got uh, overtly political. It was you, not my intention. You I didn't just, get any more overtly political than I did. I suppose. But I came up, but that's the thing, like, you didn't know what I was going to be bringing up. I, knowing what I was going to bring up, I could have prepared myself better. Yeah, I don't think we did anything wrong. All right. Um, yeah, so, um, do you have the thing pulled up that I sent you? I do not. Uh, neither do I, because I am sick, and, um, I'm going to blame everything on that today. Fair enough. So, no, um, basically, I read about this on, uh, slash com. Yeah, and I actually did see this, uh, this little chart, um, 
before you sent it to me. And I remember, and I glanced at it and I thought, that's interesting. But admittedly, I, uh, I, uh, all the movies like specifically mentioned, like, I don't have any connection to those. And then I navigated away from it. And then yeah. when I read more about it in the article, I was, I was very interested. But basically a guy, uh, took, uh, I, I don't know if he used Rotten Tomatoes or what, because I'm an idiot and I didn't pull up the story. Rot- uh, he used Rotten Tomatoes and uh, the IMDb user ratings, I believe. Okay. Um, and and compared the two. And so, yeah, the, the idea was to figure out which movies were underrated or overrated by critics compared to what people at large think of them. Yes. Um, so you get some uh, really interesting things. uh some of which I agree with the critics more mm-hmm. and some of which I agree with the, uh, the people more, I guess. Well, the one that jumped out to me obviously was empire records, uh, in which I agree with the critics and I know you agree with the audience. The critics well, say 24 and the audience says 84. There's a 60 point difference in between. Um, okay. You're looking at something different than I am. Then. Okay. Uh, so, well, Empire Records is a bad example because I don't actually think that Empire Records is a good movie. Fair enough. Um, I saw it at the right age. That, um, yes, that's true. To be uh, the world's biggest fan. But um, I was also, uh, God, we're really bad at this. Okay. So uh, I-, I was really surprised to find how many kids' movies were rated high by critics. It is not, odd, isn't it? Yeah. And I wonder – that's that more than anything, especially the Spy Kids films, strangely enough, the first two. The first two, which I didn't even like the second one. I love the first one, though. The yeah, first it's one's really, really good. good. And I think to this day I would consider it Robert Rodriguez's most personal film. Um, whatever that means. Y- hmm. <laughs> what do you got – yeah, I I would say so. I think that probably sounds about right. Everything about it seems like him in essence. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm inclined to say like one of the uh, El Mariachi films, but at the same time, this one does seem to be more in line with the with his heart, mm-hmm. yeah. which is he does very much have the heart of a kid, um, and I say that in a good way. But also, um, uh, Stuart Little too. Um, is on this list and babe. Oh yeah. 97% critics, 66% audience. But now that's one where I feel like time has proven critics, right? Right? Like babe well, is considered a modern classic now, right? I think so, but even at the time it was. I mean, it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars that year. Well, um, I think that would fit in more with the critic thing than the yeah, audience thing. I suppose so. Um but yeah, it's now why do you think that is? Uh, specifically with the with the uh family films, the, the kids movies, do you think, here's my theory that I came up with just now. So, uh, okay. it's may not bear a lot of scrutiny. Um, do you think it's that, all right, this is going to sound like I'm shitting on audiences and I try not to do that. I try to save my scorn for studios. Uh, so I apologize if I sound condescending to audiences, but do you think it's that audiences will go see a movie and if that movie is not the genre that's for them that they like the most or whatever. Um, or it's not exactly what they want it to be. It's literally not catering to them. 
that they will view it as a flaw in the film. Like, for example, let's say somebody takes his kid to go see Spy Kids. Mm -hmm. Well, their kid's not going to go on IMDb and rate it. But the guy will be like, oh, this is terrible. It's like, well, in theory, it's not for you. Well, I think more, and this is something that Paul and I have talked about on Hey, Watch This, that I think one of the major differences between people like you and me who are active uh, cinephiles and we seek out films and people who are more casual Mm -hmm. fans, um, there's a fundamentally different approach where um, we we want to be surprised. And I think people who see movies or watch TV a little more casually want to have their expectations fulfilled. Yes. And so, um, it's also uh, from a thematic standpoint, it's the difference between being challenged and being affirmed. Like it's, it's also that kind of thing. Maybe that's, yeah, that's what it is. But, but I, I always think about how much, uh, audiences, um, hated Cavern in the Woods as opposed to how much like film fans loved it. Because Cabin yeah. in the Woods was sold as this is a teenagers go into the woods and get slashed up horror film. Yeah. And it's so different from that. Yeah. So, you know, intentionally different from that, that people I think felt lied to maybe. Uh, yeah. And, and so I wonder if um, Babe is a little old fashioned, even, you know, I mean, I know the movie's like 20 years old now, but it's even for then it was kind of a throwback. Um, and, and it's and, a, it's a throwback to like a thing that may never have actually existed, yeah. like a thing that exists in your memory. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And Spy Kids is weird. I don't know if you, have you ever seen you've seen Spy Kids. I've seen it, but it's been a long time. Yeah, since I mean, I've the, seen it. they get turned into like people get turned into those weird like uh, kids show creatures, but also the kids show is something that you wouldn't watch. Like it's, it's terrifying, kind of dark. Yeah, yeah. I think I think something that turns out to be kind of weird often. Uh, yeah. Tends to turn people off. You know, I think, um, I mean, you and I talk about movies that are in our minds advertised poorly. Like mm-hmm. say, um, we talk about Adventureland. Adventureland the, the is, uh, I was thinking about it a moment ago yeah. when I thought being surprised. Right. And then not to pat myself on the back. Cause I went with other friends and all, and all of us said, mm, that's not the movie that was told that I was told it was going to be. But now, but what is it? Right. But, that's because you, as a person who sees a billion films a year, not really, you know, a couple hundred films a year or whatever, sure. um, you are um, happy to be surprised. Whereas yes, someone, yes. you know, we, the thing we always talk about is that Harold Ramos quoted that figure that the average American goes to a movie theater five times in a year. Yeah. Um, I think those people don't necessarily want to, you know, if it's that if one movie is that percentage of their time, they don't necessarily want to be uh, challenged, you know? The, and, and so, um, which is that's, somewhat... why, that's why marketing real quick. Okay. You know, the people who made the trailers for Adventureland, they didn't mess up by getting the tone of the film wrong because their, their job was not to try to, to uh, relate to people what the actual tone of the film is. Yeah. Their job was to get people to buy the ticket. After that, their job was done. Yeah. And so that's why the trailers made it look like, you know, super bad too or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and of course all that does is, I mean, that, that's such a short sighted approach, which is literally like, Oh, so you now are anger. You're willing to anger audiences as long as you get that box office, like, and that opening weekend box office. I'll put, that's, yeah. That's the idea of word of mouth. That's not a thing anymore. Yeah, everything's about the opening weekend. Uh, yeah. Once you get up to a certain number of screens, it's all about the opening weekend. And so that's what they're 
aiming for. And I don't think they care if they give you the wrong impression of the movie. And so um, now I want to explore this idea of the, the Harold Ramis quote that I don't think we ever took the time to look up, uh, like if that's actually true. But you know yeah. what? Tr- when Harold Ramis spoke at our college, yeah. he said that, um, you know, when he's making they're making when they make movies for studios, they have to keep in mind they're not making movies for people like you and me yeah. or, you know, you and me, Tyler, or you and me, the listener. Um, they're making movies for the average American who goes to the movie theaters yeah. five times a year. And these days, they're not even making for the average American. They're making for the average, you know, uh, Chinese person or yeah. or whatever the movie is expected to do well. Yeah. You can't even, you know. Yeah. Hey. Suddenly, the lowest common denominator just got lower. And here's the thing. Not that Chinese people are lower than us, but no, it just means the further you expand expand the base, yeah, the more uh, the less common the denominators. Therefore, they have to go lower. Exactly, and so yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. And and by the way, I you terms like lowest common denominator. Yes, there's a reason that there's a negative connotation to it. And then as as we talk about the average American moviegoer, that sounds negative as well. It doesn't have to be. There's not these people aren't stupid. People who just uh, who only see, you know, a, a few movies a year, if that, you know, I don't think I can fault them for for wanting, you know, for for watching trailers or looking into a movie, even if it's just in a perfunctory way, and saying, "Oh, I know what this superhero movie is, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I know what this horror movie is. I like those, and you know what? I don't get out to the theater very much, but this looks good to me. I want to go see it, and it'll be a nice time out." And then it turns out to be like, "Ha ha! Fuck you! <laughs> right? You, we're not this. You know, I'm, yeah. th- I'm talking about uh, you know, Cabin in the Woods yeah. specifically, which is a movie that I like a lot. But as time has gone on, I've come to realize that like." I'm all for a movie taking an audience to task. Um, but I'm also kind of okay with a movie with, especially if from a marketing standpoint, it's, it kind of tried to trick people into the audience, uh, into the theater. Um, I'm kind of okay with people being upset because movies are expensive. Pe- you know, you and neither you nor I have children and we know a number of people that do have children. And when right. I talk to them and ask them, my standard question, which is, have you seen any movies lately? The answer is no, <laughs> because they're busy. They're doing other things. I can't condemn them for that. Or and it's like, yes, I've seen Frozen every day for three months. <laughs> no question about it. Thankfully, Jen and I have some friends who uh, their daughter is really into the Muppets. And they're like, it's like, well, we really dodged a bullet there because <laughs> there's plenty of Muppet movies. Right. And they're all pretty good. And so... Um, so yeah, I don't mean to condemn people for wanting, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting in almost any other, and I realize that art is, is different than a, a standard product, but like if you pay, if you save up the money for a specific car and it's just like, ah, oh, yeah, it's like, I want a hybrid. It's like, um, okay, here's your hybrid. Oops. It's an SUV. No refunds. Like <laughs> it's, you'd get, you'd get mad yeah. and you know, and no one would be like, what are you, some kind of idiot? You can't go with the flow and drive an SUV when you wanted a, a hybrid. Like, you know, art is the only thing where, where we, ch- where it is, ch- where being surprised and maybe even being tricked and sometimes even being condemned by the product itself right. is, is it viewed as a good thing. Now I'm not, I a good thing by us. And that's how we get back to this. Yeah. And, and so that's critics and audiences. Yeah. So I don't mean to, I don't, 
I don't necessarily like to shit on audiences and I think that movies should challenge them. Um, but I don't necessarily, uh, fault an audience, uh, your, your average audience member for having a problem with that. But, but the thing that struck me as, as we looked at this graph and I think uh, I'll be sure to link to it in the, in the post online so people can look at it directly. Um, I want to, and the articles that I mentioned was written by our friend Angie Han from Slash Film. I don't think I know Angie. Really? Yeah. How is that possible? I don't know. Oh, I don't, well. I, the name sounded familiar, certainly, but I don't think I've ever actually met her. And if I have, Angie, sorry. Well, she's um, uh, at Comic Con every year. That's how I. She's one of my Comic Con buddies. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I guess I haven't seen her. I'll, I'll be on the lookout for uh, for this week, uh, this year. Um, but uh, the thing that got me was that you look at this little chart and yeah, there are some extreme outliers where there's like, you know, a chasm of like 60 percentage points in between. But for the most part, the stuff in the, there's a lot of overlap. And I remember years ago when we did our, when we did our supplement episode on the dark night with, I believe that was the first time Pat Francis was on. Correct. Uh, was it? I think it sounds so. right. Yeah. Um, and I remember cause he brought us uh dark Knight action figures. Yeah. Cause so he's, I still have my, he is a delight. My Bruce Wayne. Um, and so, um, and I remember the reason that I wanted to do that because at the time we really didn't talk about one movie. We, we almost never did that. But the reason I wanted to talk about dark Knight is because on IMDb, it had been out for about a month uh-huh. and at the time it was number one. It had and beat I, out Shawshank Redemption, right. or whatever is usually a number it's, one. It's almost always Shawshank or Godfather. It's, it's usually one of those two. But like Godfather is a good movie. Shawshank is not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. It's very rewatchable. It's it's a, it's not even adequate. It's good. It is very good. At and at times it is genuinely great. It um, is also though uh, almost entirely unchallenging. I think I was going to say uh, I just I describe it as agreeable. <laughs> And, and so by the way, it gets back own, to what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I own it. I rewatch it. It's very rewatchable. Yeah. The way, if you'll pardon me, the way a non-challenging movie tends to be. <laughs> um but uh and I'm sorry for that. Uh but the oh, um, you upgrade, you you blue graded your Shawshank. Yeah, Jen got it for me for my How birthday. About that? Um I don't have so, that. I still have the old yeah. the, the uh, crummy old DVD. No, man. Like some kind of hobo. Yeah. Um <laughs> but uh <laughs> with his extension cord to his DVD player. Um so, uh, but I remember just being so, uh, you know, this was many years ago. So I was younger and more, probably more easily angered. Um, and so I'm fairly easily angered now, but for different reasons. Now I'm, now I'm old and easily angered. <laughs> then I was just young and brash. Um, but, uh, it just bothered me so much. It's like, are you shitting me? Literally this movie that just came out. And you're going to give it the best movie of all time. It's like, what a bunch of sheep. Like, I got really mad. <laughs> I don't think I said any of, the, any of this on the show, but it was more like, yeah, let's talk about this movie that apparently is the best movie of all time. And it, it also didn't help at the time that uh, not to cast aspersions or anything, not to be a jerk or anything. But uh, I remember I regularly lis- listened to I Love Movies with Doug Benson uh-huh. and that and Dark Knight to him was like the best movie ever made. He was really hyperbolic about it. Certainly, I think it was his favorite movie of the year. But the way he talked about it, he's like, this is how movies should be. Yeah. And it's like, it's not a perfect film. He, I like he, it a lot. He was and I think remains 
uh, evangelical about the Dark Knight. It's weird, right? <laughs> and and I think Doug Benson is a remarkably smart man who can speak very eloquently about film when he wants to. And so um, <laughs> I say when he wants to because they tend to get a little off track oh, yeah, sure. in, in in the podcast. Of course, it's all it's always very funny. But um, but I remember uh, really having a problem with the user ratings. And I think both you and Pat, like, patted me on the shoulder Mm -hmm. and said, give it time. It will do what all of these movies do, and it will fall into place. It'll settle. And the movies that everybody, the movies that almost everybody can agree on, critics and audiences, they'll come back to the top and everything will be fine. And you guys were absolutely right. Uh, The Dark Knight, I think it's still, like, in the top 100, maybe even in the top 50. But, But nobody's considering it, like, the best movie of all time or anything like that. And, and so like uh, it sits easy with me, but at the same time it's like, yeah, but I don't think there weren't weren't a lot of critics that disliked it and audiences liked it in many ways. It's everything that a superhero movie should be. In fact, uh, I, I recently hosted an episode of post show recaps as of recording. It hasn't happened yet. So hopefully this works out. Um, uh, hosted an episode of post show recaps in which we, we talk about the best superhero movies of all time and incidentally, Dark Knight tops. It's number one with a bullet. Right, but it's not your personal favorite. It's not mine. It was in my not my personal favorite. Certainly. What is your personal favorite superhero movie of all time? Spider Man Two. Mine too. I think. Which is uh, which came in at number two, by the way. Yeah, I think that's um, partially because I voted in this, and <laughs> my number one ranking uh, skewed it pretty high. And so, um, so that's the thing is that as much as audiences will sometimes demonize critics. And it is something that I've seen that I've heard happen. Like when I worked at various video stores and stuff, people said quite literally, they said, Hey, whatever a critic says, I just do the opposite. Now I think that's stupid, but uh, well, sorry, I think it's dismissive. And I I think that's not a good attitude to have about anything. But again, if we're being, I hope we're not being patronizing, hope we're being understanding Mm -hmm. again, a critic sees hundreds of movies a year, right? And so they might it's and so yes, they might be more sophisticated viewers, but they also might just want different things out of movies. Oh sure. Um We like to yeah, for example, surprise. Like we like to be surprised because we're seeing so many and so many of them are one is just like the other. It's like, oh a, a welcome breath of fresh air. Now I'm it, sorry, I interrupted, go on. Uh well I was gonna change change the subject a little bit. Well what I was gonna say okay. is that like is like sometimes an audience will have disdain for critics. But then critics will often have disdain for audiences, and I think probably unfairly on both on both counts, because when it comes right down to it, almost everybody agrees on Jaws. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody agrees on Psycho right. and The Godfather right. and Goodfellas. The Avatar. And, hey, you know, <laughs> uh, we all have our moments. But, like, just the, the really great movies tend to be, you know, and... There's a reason that, for example, Citizen Kane, it's in the top 100. It's, I think it's in the top 50, but it doesn't rank super high on the IMDb user poll rating, probably because it's a little too old and it may be, and people might view it as irrelevant. And an argument could be made that it, that to your average moviegoer, it is irrelevant. Right. Um, but that's the thing. It's like, by and large, there's pretty much a consensus between these two groups that sometimes will view each other with disdain. And that's, that's the thing that re- that chart really uh really showed me um now here's here's what i want to bring up okay i want to go back to a topic i've brought up multiple times on the podcast before but with a new twist that i might be becoming part of the problem okay um 
I've often said that critics, one one place that critics often get it wrong is comedy. Okay. Because if you look at the um, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score for Wet Hot American Summer, it's ridiculously low, even though Wet Hot American Summer is one of the best comedies ever made, one Delightful. of the funniest movies ever made, and a seminal movie. Yeah. Uh, there's, that, a, there's a line from it that when you and I went and saw it, we would say this line, we lived together at the time, we would say this line to each other when things didn't go our way was in it, the apartment. Oh, fuck my cock. That's the one. Yeah, which David Hyde Pierce says. Um, in the presence of young children, which I think is delightful. Yeah. Um, and now, that's not on this list in Angie's article here, but uh, Super Troopers is, which is another movie that you and I are both big fans of. Yeah. And it is on the list of, you know, uh, only 30, 35% of critics like it, uh, 90% of audiences uh, like it. And those audiences are right. Super Troopers yeah. is kick-ass. It's I, the shit. I could watch it. Over and over, it's hilarious, and I thought that from the from the first time I saw it. Yeah, I saw it on video at the time, and yeah. the I and I was laughing so hard, so regularly that the concept, the idea, the very idea, David, uh-huh. that someone could view this as bad, didn't even enter my brain. But and that's the thing, I was just laughing so hard, and it's a comedy. Yeah, the end. Yeah, like to me that that makes sense to me, but. Now here's where we're getting into the new twist. Okay, that I might be, I might be a critic who is getting his head up his ass, and I might be missing out. Okay, two years ago, I think it was two years ago, didn't care for Twenty One Jump Street. Right, everyone likes it. Everyone said it was really funny. You revisited it and, and liked it more the second time, right? That's true. Yeah, but I still had the problem the first time. Okay, recent movie out this weekend, Neighbors. All right, getting great buzz. I thought it was an ordeal. <laughs> I. I like, whereas 21 Jump Street, I thought was just a sloppy mess. Critics are liking Neighbors too, though. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. So maybe so I'm So now just, it's just you. It's just me. Because Neighbors <laughs> is, again, like 21 Jump Street, I just didn't care for. Neighbors, I actively was having a bad time in the movie theater watching watching Neighbors. It seemed, it's so thin and so formulaic and so consistently straining to be funny to the point where it's mm. like uh and that's never it's that's usually never funny when you can see someone sweating for the joke you know the two big things that a lot of critics point out is how game zach efron is oh yeah is and how refreshing it is to have rose byrne play a character who isn't merely the hey now come on like apparently she is a co-conspirator with seth rogan yeah. i guess if that's if that's progress, that's progress. Um, it's not funny, though. You know, it's funny. Who's that? Dave Franco. Of course. I like it. Also in 21 Jump Street, he was funny. Mm-hmm. So apparently I like Dave Franco in movies where I don't like other stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, that guy is one to watch, Dave Franco. But uh, Neighbors, yeah, couldn't couldn't stand it. I was having a bad time. Uh, and so I wonder... Am I getting my head up my ass? Am I becoming one of these uh, stuck-up critics who can't uh, just enjoy a funny time at the movies? Well, I don't know, because you and I are very similar when it comes to our to our sense of humor, what we find funny, and our love of comedy as not merely a genre, but a concept. Uh-huh. Um there's a reason that we had Mike Celestino on to talk about that's not funny because I, that struck me as a very important conversation yeah. to have. And so, uh, it's, 
but what I will say is as you and I watch more movies, write about them, like, and as we try to, as we try to think of ourselves more and more as critics who have a certain viewpoint, Mm -hmm. it might be possible that we actually, and I already did do it by the way, like, um, as I talked about, like what sets us apart from your average critic, but that doesn't necessarily put us in the camp with, with the audience either. Like because we're film people and comedy people, you and I have somehow managed to, I think maybe whether we mean to or not elevated ourselves above all (laughs) when it comes to, when it comes to film comedy. Um, and say like, ah, these, these, these snooty critics over here, they just don't like to laugh. They don't understand that a comedy is meant to make you laugh. What a bunch of assholes. And these people over here, which will see any Seltzer Friedberg pizza shit, like (laughs) they're just happy. You know, it's like somebody falls on a banana peel and they laugh. What a bunch of morons. There's only one other person I trust to laugh and that's David Bax. (laughs) Uh, yeah, but I mean, it, it, uh, I'm, I'm looking up. 2013 movies of 2013 okay and seeing what where in my ranking where comedies fell and my first impulse was oh i got comedies high on my list but then i'm thinking of prince avalanche and the wolf of wall street which are not uh now in a world is my top 10 okay that's a comedy yeah uh her has a lot of comedy in it but these are the comedies that i'm looking for to get to uh i'd say the highest ranking sort of out and out comedy yeah. on my list is probably the world's end. Um, and that's not super high. Well, and even that, if you look at the end, like, uh, the end of the film, like even that is working towards something thematically that a critic can jump on if they, if they want to, like, it's the kind of comedy that, that critics can be like, ah, okay, now we can. And because, <laughs> and because it's cinematically so yeah, yeah. exhilarating, but there's enough style and there's enough form for people to be like, ah, now we're talking. But you know, I, I've you and I have often said we're so far off topic here, but this is still that's fine. I'm sick. It fits a uh, little bit. That's the excuse. I'm sick. Um, we've often said that if a movie's funny enough, we don't care that it's poorly right. made. I, and I have maybe come away from that a little bit. Like I want to see a well-made film, mm-hmm. but there was a film from last year called The Heat, which okay. was uh, riotously funny enough to you know to check my use my cliche thesaurus. Um, it was uh, raucously and uproariously funny oh, enough my. that uh, I didn't care that much that it was that its uh, procedural element and basic plot was really phoned in. Yeah, um, and I cared a little bit. That's why it didn't exactly end up in my top fifteen movies of the year or anything. But I liked it. it I, I laughed enough to not care that it was sloppy. Uh, so when I complain that na- Neighbors is um, is formulaic. It's also it's formulaic and it's not funny to me. Right. Yeah. Formula is not whether it be with comedy or even I mean, I'm a big fan of law and order. I mean, that everything about it is formula, but the formula winds up being like the constant that you can cling to. And then right. and it helps you to appreciate the variables. What I should say about neighbors and this is turning into my review of neighbors. Um, uh, it's not for I, I, I don't mean and it is in form. It's formulaic in the sense that. uh you can see where the whole movie's going to play. I mean, there's even like at the beginning what Zach Efron is saying to the frat, like we're going to have a big party at the end of the year. Like clearly, okay, that's when the climax of the movie yeah. is going to take place yeah. at the big party. He might as well say, we're going to have a big party at the end of the movie uh, year. Um, 
But what I also mean is that Neighbors establishes the formula within itself and then repeats it over and over and over again, where it's almost like a series of sketches around the same idea, where Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne are like, I have an idea to get rid of the frat, and then it goes horribly wrong. Yeah. And then, how about this idea? And it, that goes on over and over again and uh, became really tiresome and uh, unrealistic. Now, let me ask you this. And, okay, we are now just talking about Neighbors. I'm sorry. Um individually which would each of those sketches be funny some of them would okay some of them aren't because sometimes that's sometimes that's enough for me is like all right well it's a series of sketches albeit with the same characters and they're all working towards the same they're all linked by this one goal Mm -hmm. um so part of me thinks i feel like i'd enjoy that but from a from the standpoint of like what makes for a satisfying narrative arc yeah whether in a comedy or otherwise um it does seem like it would get rather repetitive. And of course, if the, if the jokes are just trying too hard and it yeah. just, like you said, straining for comedy, then yeah. certainly that's the, the strain will become strenuous. Yeah. One of the, uh, the ones that Rose Burns character has an idea to try and get Dave Franco hooked up with Zach Efron's girlfriend to try and create a rift between the mm. two like heads of the sorority. And, uh, Rose Byrne really does act the shit out of that sequence and really makes it work. And again, you got Dave, Dave uh, Franco in there, but uh, that's just one in a series of, hmm. and then there's stuff, you know, they, uh, some of the retaliations are just like cartoonish to the point where I can't even buy this anymore. This wouldn't happen in the movie. Like they steal the, this is in the trailer. They steal the airbags out of the car. Yeah. Brad does. And then they plant the airbags in places so that when Seth Rogen, like sits down in his chair, yeah, I saw it that. goes off and shoots him to, and it's like, okay, so the, they did that at his work. That's fine. It's it's so CGI fake when he goes up into the ceiling yeah. that it like takes you out of it and isn't funny. But then when they do it in the home, it's like they have a an infant. Like, yeah. what if he was holding his infant when he sat down on the chair and like the baby would have been killed? And then that's not funny anymore. Now and uh, okay, see now we're getting into you and I getting older because you know what? I'm right there with you. Like there. <laughs> There are things that are like, I do believe that everything is fair game in comedy if you do it right. But that doesn't mean that instinctively I'm like, oh, no. But still, which, you know, they've set a tone. This is the problem. Okay, this is just turning into my review of Neighbors. But uh, the problem is that the premise of the movie is that Seth Rogen Seth Seth Rogen and uh, and uh, and Rose Byrne are the adults you know they're the mature adults right up against the uh the frat house who are the you know the freewheeling youngsters yeah. uh but neither seth rogan and rose Byrne nor the movie in general seems to have anything invested in the idea of taking them seriously uh-huh. as adults with jobs and a child they the baby is forgotten for long stretches of the movie uh it no one seems to care that they actually do have a life here. Everyone, yeah. everyone seems to agree. Oh, the frat house is more fun. And then there's some sort of lip service at the end about, uh, oh, this is you know we're older now. And this is what's really important in life. But the whole movie leading up to that doesn't have any of that. Do you think if they had cast somebody aside from Seth Rogen, it would have uh, worked better? M- maybe. Like somebody, uh, if you'll pardon me, I think Seth Rogen can be a very good and funny actor, but also just a good dramatic actor as well. Um, I don't know if he's ever done straight drama, but like observe and report, he's doing some pretty amazing things in that. But if they had gone with an actor who is considered to be more of just a serious actor playing an adult, 
like do you think that would have been more effective possibly and and maybe if they'd a lot you know just in general less improvisation please studio yeah. hollywood comedy makers it was great for a while and it can be great here and there mm-hmm. to color a movie i like it in this is the end i like a lot of the improvisation there that's a kind of sure. movie that i think uh calls for it but you can't just have broad sketches of scenes and a and a, a character arc and expect that you because you filled it with these guys who were known for riffing that you've got a movie now that was my problem with 21 jump street and it's my problem in a large uh way with neighbors all right so this has been neighbors talk <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's <laughs> yeah that did take a turn um but yeah to get back to this idea um and maybe, yeah, and maybe oh, okay. we can, maybe we can start wrapping up. And I yeah, guess, I, I guess I'm just kind of repeating myself is that, um, this, this chart is handy. It's handy to look at if you're an audience member, it's handy to look at if you are, if you fancy yourself a critic or you're just somebody who likes to think of movies critically. Um, and that, you know, it really can, I'm sorry, it's cheesy. I would say a chart like this can bring us together, but that's not the case. We already kind of are together. We just don't realize it. You know, you talk to the vast majority of people about not even a select few movies. There are probably a solid 100, 150 movies that almost everybody can agree on, with the possible exception of Armand White. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the thing. Like, speaking of Armand White. Okay. All right. Always happy to do it. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned a while ago. I was reading his review of Captain America, the winter soldier on national review. And he talks about how he didn't like it, but he did think man of steel was great. Man of steel critically reviled (laughs) for the most part, rightfully so. Um, (laughs) but also audiences weren't super thrilled with it. And honestly, like I get the impression that people who read national review and I don't mean to crap on them, but they, they don't care much about film. They're more interested in politics, obviously. And we, we read through some of the comments, like even there, like this guy, come on, man of steel was terrible. It, it can be like, we can all acknowledge it's terrible. Like even movies that are everything a blockbuster could be and that people ostensibly go to see a movie for, and certainly it still made money, but to my knowledge, people weren't thrilled with it. And so even audiences, I would say they, they can surprise me, but like people have, I think people have a much better ability to sniff out repetition mm-hmm. and and not even just like a certain type of repetition and a certain type of just noise and just almost like this isn't what we go see movies for, you know? And yeah. I remember uh, when you and I went to WonderCon and we saw that clip of Godzilla mm-hmm. with Gareth Edwards uh, presenting it. Yeah. And when the clip was over, everyone's cheering. And he said, I love the quote. Like, yeah. I really want to keep it in mind. He says, that's why we make movies because yeah. in that moment, he's watching a movie that he made everything on the, on the screen was a decision he made, but even he was able to allow himself to get lost in how much fun this was. And so, so like if we really let it, we can, we can kind of maybe drop the barrier a little bit between the average audience, which we so often speak about with a certain degree of contempt and the snooty critic, you know, like we're, we have way more in common than, than 
we think. Yeah, there's more overlap than not. I think that's, yeah. you know, we've been talking about the outliers here in this uh, chart, but there's there's more overlap than not. And because I was because I was wondering, like, is there anything that we can learn? You know, can can you and I as critics look at the fact that um, Diary of a Mad Black Woman is so is rated so high mm-hmm. and keep that in mind the next time we're writing a review? And I don't think so. I think because these are outliers, it's more like, yeah, that's going to happen, you know? Well, and, and, and the people who, uh, you know, the, the top two, the, the biggest difference of movies with high IMDb ratings and low critic ratings are Facing the Giants, yeah, which is a, a film marketed directly to uh, Christian audiences, yeah. and Diary of a Mad Black Woman, which is a film marketed directly to African-American audiences. And so I think, to a certain extent, people like that movie more, like those movies more because it was made for them. Yeah. And you know, if they're only seeing five movies a year, one that's made specifically for their demographic is maybe a little more, uh, whereas people like me who see a million movies a year, uh, a movie that is, seems to be targeted directly at my demographic. I'm almost, almost guaranteed to hate it. Yeah. And now imagine (laughs) that you only see five movies a year almost because there seems to be nothing for you. Then if, then if there is right Obviously, you're just going to be thrilled that it even exists. Right. And because, I mean, black audiences are the same as female audiences in the sense that the studios can't seem to understand that oh. these are people who go to see movies yeah. and uh, you can make money making. So that's why you can make Tyler Perry can make mediocre movies uh, and deliver them to an underserved audience and yeah. rake in the dough. Yeah. And that's the thing is that's that's I think that's what we can maybe not learn, but what we can take away from this is that like, as we approach a movie like diary of a mad black woman and to a lesser extent, uh, facing the giants or something like Which that, I haven't seen, I didn't see it either. I'm sure it's terrible, but like, um, <laughs> but that's the thing. It can be terrible without its audience being stupid. That's what we can take away from it. Sure. But, yeah. we, but good point. We can also say that like, just because we don't fit into the the intended audience, because you and I see a lot of movies, we, I think, are, if we allow ourselves to be, we can be more malleable to a specific genre or a movie intended for a specific audience. And we're able to see what the movie is actually intending on doing. Uh, and we are in a, I think, more objective position to know whether or not it achieved that. And so just because we don't fall into a certain demographic, that doesn't mean we are not allowed an opinion uh, about a oh, movie. Sure, yeah. So we can still say this wasn't meant for me. And if I am some, if I was somebody that it was meant for, and I'm not often thought about in regards to you know, by Hollywood, I'd probably like it too, but it could be better. And these people deserve better. Um, I feel like that's one thing that we can, we can take away. Also, the other thing that I thought is, yes, there's a lot of stuff in the middle, but in regards to those outliers, and you mentioned it yourself, some of them you line up with the critics. Some of them you line up with the audiences. I feel like it's probably good that it mixes up like that. If you find yourself completely aligned with one or the other, there's probably some some introspection that you need to engage in. uh, One movie that only has 19% of critics, like 83% of audiences, is Step Up. And yet I know critics who love the Step Up movies. Hmm. They have a strong following. Uh, And you know, the... 
admittedly, uh, uh, Angie does mention that there is some, there are certain flaws in just going by percentages from Rotten Tomatoes and stuff because a movie like Facing the Giants, it wasn't a big movie. Right. You don't have so, this, there's a smaller sample size uh, rating it. Well, there's a smaller sample size of critics and, so you, and audiences. Not really, because in the, well, in general, yes, but you're much more because it is targeted towards a certain demographic then everybody who sees right. it might weigh in. That's more like it's it's Q rating. Sure. I don't know what that means. Q rating. I've heard it, but My what understanding is it? of Q rating is like, uh, it's not about, you, you apply it to like celebrities, mm-hmm. where it's not, it's not a measure of how well known the celebrity is, but of the people who know who they are, how many of them like them. So like, Oh yes. Okay. Like, um, I don't know. Uh, David Lynch isn't, you know, he isn't a household name necessarily. Yes. Uh, but most people who know who David Lynch is are fans of him. So yes. he, has a, he would have a high Q rating. Yeah. If you know who he is, there's a reason you know who he right. is. Like so that's, yes. Okay. So that's, that's, that's a great, that's a great example. Yes. And so like, so facing the giants, it was not like a huge national release. So there are probably a number of critics who, I mean, we never get invited to see screenings of a Christian film. Um, and I've even asked as a function of more than one lesson, I've asked studios and, uh, they, uh, were not interested. I don't think, I don't think they even screen them for critics. Sometimes they do. They, they're doing it more these days, but not so much. And so, um, so you're just going to get fewer critics. You could have like 15 critics versus, I don't know, 10,000 users. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be much more skewed right, right. because of who those users are. So it's not a it's not a perfect system, but I'd say by and large I, I believe those numbers. That babe one surprises me though. I still think we got some good talk out of it and uh I get to tell people how I feel about neighbors. Yeah. Um so you can find us at battleshipretention.com. That's uh where all the um links to this podcast and the other podcast in the BP fleet as well as all of our written reviews are. Um you reviewed something this week. Yeah, uh I reviewed Richard Richard Aowati's The Double, and then uh, by the time this goes up, there will be a review of Adam McGoyan's Devil's Knot. Very exciting. Big, busy week Indeed. for for Tyler Smith over at BattleshipRetention.com. So that's where you can find that. You can email us, David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at ThePretension. Tyler is on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at MoreThanOneLesson.com. What's going on over there? Actually, nothing. But here's the thing. <laughs> uh, I forgot to mention this earlier. Uh, More Than One Lesson, we're just doing kind of our usual thing. We're talking about uh, the mini-sode uh, in which we're talking about the best pictures. Uh, we're talking about uh, Crash this week, so you can go and listen to that. But I did want to mention, uh, I was recently on Out Now with Aaron and Abe talking about The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That's uh, our in- friend Aaron Newworth. Indeed. And our enemy, Abe. Oh, I, I hate him so much. Um, but yeah, so it was a very long episode, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed myself. Did I like the movie? No, but <laughs> uh, sorry to spoil it for you. But um but yeah, uh, but it was a lot of fun and I, I really enjoyed myself. So you can go find that. And there's a, there's a link to it on the, on the Battleship Retention website. And my other uh, podcast is the television podcast, Hey, Watch This with Paul and David, which I do with King of, T- King of TV. I have so much trouble with King of TV. You King- could say the King of TV. Uh, I don't think that would help me. Okay. Uh, King of TV. It's the of I have a problem with. King of TV, Paul Goebel. Uh, this week, we'll be talking about 
24, Live Another Day, and uh, the season three premiere of Catfish, the series on MTV. So It's uh, a 24 thing. Yeah. All right. I never saw, like, I didn't see it past season one, which you and I watched together. Okay. I watched more than that. Okay. I was nuts about it for did Mary like years. Did they, Marilyn Rice Cup looks like Elizabeth Salander. Like every, like they've specifically, it looks yeah, like they and, really tried to evoke that. And what her character is now doing after having left CTU is very much a Elizabeth Salander type of thing. It's, they're and not, this, they're not being, yeah. And uh, this is exactly what the camouflage it right. in any way. And this is exactly, and they've been doing that kind of shit since season one. And it's why I stopped watching. What kind of shit do you mean? Where they're just, there's like, okay, we, we've always got to get something. We always have to have something going. And it's like, and 24, it, the return of 24 isn't enough. It's like, well, what, wh- what do people like? What do we, what? Do, oh, they like this. Let's do that with this so character I, who I, wasn't like that previously. What did they do in season one? The freaking mountain lion. Oh, that was That's season one- two. No, no, it was season one. It was around episode uh, number 13 where uh, his daughter gets away. It's a, okay. Because it, remember you and I talked about, it's like episode 13. This is mid season. If they were going to get canceled, they still have closure, but now they have to be like, okay, now we need the real threat to show up. But there was about 10 minutes when, what's her name? Kim? Yeah. Kim Bauer. Yeah. Uh, there's about 10 minutes when she's not in peril and she's, she's gotten away from her captors and she's in the woods. And so there's a brief moment where, oh no, now there's a mountain lion. Hold on. I'm looking this up because... Oh, oh shit. Um, yeah, it's the second season. I didn't watch the second season. I watched the first season. You must have watched this part of it. It was a mountain lion in the first season. You're you're crazy. You're crazy. Unless was, they have one in every season. A cougar. Se- a cougar. Okay, maybe they have one in every season. That would be wonderful. Um, this is killing me because I, I didn't watch any of the second season that I'm aware of. I think you must have watched some of it with me and then doesn't... Uh... Kevin Dillon show up or something that I don't remember at all. Uh, is it like, doesn't Kevin Dillon rescue her from the trap or something? Oh boy. I have no idea. Yeah. Because the bullshit thing in season one <laughs> was his wife getting amnesia. That was the like time killing oh, thing. Okay. In season two it was Kim and the Cougar. And then, I don't which know is a delightful show on Nick jr. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I guess I did. You know what? Do you I think did- this is just like a cultural osmosis thing? Where no, you're so I, convinced you've seen it because everyone has talked about it. I, but I remember specifically her running around in the mountains and then cougar and then like a, a, a quick zoom into her face and then the little the seconds ticking away during the commercial. Okay. And then well, it comes back and she just gets away. Craveonline.com calls it the second season, as does TVTropes.org. Okay, well, if TV Tropes knows, then like if anyone would know, it would be them. TV Guide. Calls it, yeah, VH1. Vulture Vulture has something called Oral History of Kim versus the Cougar on 24, which sounds delightful. Um, but yeah, yeah, okay, so I guess, I guess I'm wrong. I guess that is... Season two. Yeah, doesn't make it any better. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I forgot about the amnesia. Sorry. <laughs> um, but it, it's just that kind of thing where, like, they just always have to have something going. And yeah. even like... Well, now this one is only 12 hours instead of 24 hours. So that'll well, that instinctively but, makes me angry. It's still in real time, but now there's less. They they have less uh, water to tread. Well, I guess. I guess maybe that's a win, but at the same yeah. time, it's just like twenty four. Not really. Live another day. Not a full one. <laughs> just <laughs> what like, if? Would you like if it was twelve episodes, but each one took place over two hours? 
Which would you prefer to have? If okay. you had to have, you can't have the 24 hour long I can't have episodes. two. Okay, I can't, you can't have 24 episodes. Yeah. You can have 12 episodes. Would you rather it take place in real time over 12 hours to keep that conceit? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather it take place 12 hours that covers 24 hours to keep that conceit? Which conceit are you more married to? The 24, the, the real time one or the 24 hour a season one? Third option. Okay. I want. 12 episodes, each one one hour, but it covers two, and they just speed everything up. (laughs) That's what I want. Okay. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 